like breakfast ta- tacos are just my religion. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I love making tortillas from corn that I grow. I mean, it's one of the most magical things you can do in life is to, yeah, to do that, grow the corn and then yeah. make tortillas out of it. Like, yeah. And then with beans that you grew and squash that you grew, three sisters all in a meal. Um, my friend, she came and visited and literally cried right before we were going to eat because we'd put so much energy into this meal. And like, <laughs> yeah, it's just, you can't explain. You have to do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as far oh, as petite. back to the brown <laughs> rice, like, <laughs> there's this spot, you probably know, Shangri-La Vegan. Yeah. And it's like Tibetans and like, yeah, that's one of my favorite places. And they only do brown rice, but I think it's a good lesson. You could eat there and you learn because they just do one small scoop of it in the middle mm-hmm. of the plate and then with all these veggies and the beans and the salad and so it goes if you do do the brown rice you don't need very much you know totally yeah it's, yeah. A, it's a thick I thing think we're a little off topic <laughs> no dude there's no such thing on here bro welcome to the bark cast thank dude. you Demi on, bro in the house <laughs> good to be here yeah thanks for having me yeah man i uh i'm stoked that you're here i've been wanting to to talk to you just about life and art and the pursuit of creativity. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always like to start like food's always like a pretty universally good and safe starting topic for, for sure. anyone. For sure. And it's always funny to hear like where different people are meeting me with what they ingested that morning, you know, the responses. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess we'll we'll start with some context, which is uh you know for those of for those viewers out there and and listeners welcome um what uh can you can you just talk about how you the words that you like to wear when speaking about your creative pursuits how do you describe that to people that you meet that you encounter for sure um well yeah i mean i've been doing it for quite a time so um yeah i kind of refined it a little bit. I feel like it's always becoming more refined, but generally I use the words nature inspired and um, art from the heart, you know? So these are my heart works, you know, and call them artworks, but heart works to me is a nice, you know, like living heart work, something that's really living, vibrating, um, coming from my heart to the people, so. Mm. Um, and it's inspired from nature. So it's basically in a nutshell, um, what I do and woodblock prints happens to be the kind of my specialty. So nature inspired woodblock prints is, is one thing I kind of represent, I suppose. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Um, when did you said you've been doing it for a while? When did you start on this journey of, of printing? So I, I discovered printmaking in college at UC Santa Cruz in 2003. Wow. So that's when I took my intro to printmaking. First year of college. And um, Yeah, first year of college. And I really enjoyed it, but actually didn't immediately like jump head first into it. I actually um, ended up doing a lot of painting classes and um, mm-hmm. drawing and murals, public art, um, while I was also doing an environmental studies undergraduate so I did a double major and then at a certain point I realized um this was an amazing printmaking studio they had and and uh took some more courses and ended up kind of making it my focus for for my art degree um with the focus specifically more on the woodblock prints um 
but I also studied um, like intaglio copper plate etching, lithography, you know, printing from the limestone, um, and um, also linoleum cuts. And after UCSC, I also studied screen printing at Cabrillo College. So, um, yeah, I basically learned different types, but the woodblock for me has always been the most natural and it being wood and me doing mostly nature art. Yeah. Um, and I also really love the Japanese um, woodblock artists. The stuff I've seen has really inspired me. And, and uh, yeah, but as far as art goes, it's really there is no beginning. Like from birth, basically, I feel like I was always making art. And we were in Waldorf school as a kid, me and my brother. So, um, so the art's always been flowing and the printmaking just became like a, um, a new medium for me that allowed me to distribute my art in an original way to more people than just one watercolor, say, mm. or one original oil painting. Because yeah. now once you finish the, the wood block, you can, you know, print up to a couple hundred prints if you have good quality wood and each one is considered an original. Right. So, yeah. That's an interesting way of thinking about it. It begs the question, like, because I think it's interesting. I've been thinking about this a lot lately, like, at what stage of the, <clears throat> excuse me, at what stage of the evolution of technology does it start to feel dystopian to people? Like, I, I'm I'm someone who's kind of got, I think we were talking about this before the podcast. Like I have a foot in both worlds of like the tech and the Luddite mm. kind of earthy rooted folks. Mm -hmm. And I like have a lot of love uh, and, and just a lot of love for both. And mm -hmm. I, it's always interesting for me, especially like in music where people draw the line of like, this is when the technology becomes, uh, like Bobby Lawn or, you know, it gets, mm. it gets to a place where like I get off, I get off the, the train. And so thinking on that spectrum, you know, and thinking about something like, like, uh, block make printmaking off of wood blocks, mm -hmm. which at some stage in evolution was this big technological leap. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, like when you moved from, you know, doing these watercolors, doing these paintings, to the more industrialized process mm -hmm. of creating, like how that affected the way that you think about your art, the way that, you know, the creativity. Um, did you notice like a change in your perspective when you, when you switched mediums like that? Um, well, I would say I never really viewed it as like, a, um, I guess more advanced form of technology so much, the woodblock printing, cause it is this ancient craft, you know, from Japan and Korea and China. Um, They've been doing for, you know, hundreds, if not a thousand, over a thousand years. So, um, you know, you could definitely say people have been painting and drawing much longer than that. Mm -hmm. You're knowing these cave paintings exist all over the world. But um, what I really loved about it is the craft. And because um, I was always an artist, but didn't think so much about crafts. And printmaking really is a craft. And even... Um, I feel like my understanding of crafts has evolved so that even drawing can be viewed as a craft. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily art drawing because there's, there's methods, there's technique. Um, yeah. Art, I think more of 
it's the creation and the vision and it's the overarching thing, but the craft is how you actually make this thing, you know? So um, printmaking has many, many steps. Most of it's in the preparation. The final printing is like the last fun step. So the carving of the block, the transferring of your image, um, you know, the preparation of the paper, the yeah. mixing of your inks, um, the registration of your, of your I images, um, all of these are like part of the craft. And, um, so would you say like that, that the craft is like the real world expression of the art? Like, it sounds like you're saying the art lives kind of live, lives more in the intangible, almost in the mind, whereas the craft is the execution of those ideas or just trying to get on the I same I think page. we live in a world where craft is being lost. Interesting. And we focus on art, but craft is like this ancient part of all cultures that has always existed. And in this more modern culture, like you're saying, with more technology, um, craft is being lost more and more because um, we're just using technology as a tool to do all these things that we used to be doing by hand, which are known as crafts. Machines make our clothing, mm -hmm. machines make baskets. You can get a laser cutter to, to carve your wood block for you, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, and my teacher even had one, like, you know, sh showed me his wood block. He had laser cut it. And personally, I was never too drawn because I, I enjoy the handwork of it and being able to tell people I did this by hand. And yeah. um, not that I'm against it. It's just, I resonate with the craft part of it. And it's a deep meditation, the craft, because the art for me, like I say, it's the vision. Um, when that's born, that could come at any moment, you know, and you just have to be as an artist, um, aware and conscious and then write it down or do a mini sketch when you have these moments where a vision will come to you of something you want to produce and share with the people. Um, but then actually manifesting it, it you know, you put your, your skills and, um, together and, and that's the craft of it. So, mm -hmm. um, so I love that part. It's really a meditation. Once you have the vision and you're just carrying it out and it's like, you're not thinking really, you're just doing. Mm -hmm. And so like the yeah. vision is yeah. the, is the, is the, um, you know, is the, is the being, you know, I guess. And rather <laughs> the vision is, yeah, is the doing. And then the craft is the being, you're not thinking anymore. Gotcha. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Which, which, uh, seems like it takes a lot of effort and work to get to that place where you're able to just be with the creation. You know, I think early on in people's journeys with, with making stuff, you know, whatever, whether you're calling it art or crafts, um, I think in the beginning, like, at least in my experience with, with making things, I feel like I have to be intensely focused during every stage of the process, mm -hmm. you know, of like whether I'm even with like videography or a podcast or if I'm doing a drawing, but I do think that like over the course of doing your 10,000 hours and you're making all the, you know, you're, you're honing your craft over time, it does get to be something I think that the, a lot of accomplished or just experienced seasoned artists talk about being able to sink more and more into the flow state where you're like losing yourself in the practice. Yeah, totally. It's like, you know, those magic hours between 12 and 6am where <laughs> everyone's sleeping and you're, you tap in and you're just in the flow state. Like you're saying, um, are those your key productive hours? 
It used to be. Um, I was always like, yeah, doing those hours when I was a bit younger, like in college. And then first years after college, um, when I had my first studio in Santa Cruz, um, I'd often have these like group shows we do and or different gallery shows. And then I'd be working down to the wire and do a lot of late night pieces. And um, and I still do sometimes now, but um I've actually kind of tapped into lifestyle now that allows me to enter the flow state anytime. So for me, it's been valuable to not just rely on like, you know, that time is a special time and I'm still open to doing art then, but I'm definitely not reliant on it. And, um, and so, yeah, more, I've been more in the going to sleep early, getting up early mode the last years and, and usually actually do my art in the afternoon. Mm. Um, or in the in the morning, like later morning, sometimes occasionally early morning, but generally I'm doing more, you know, exercising and and um, yoga and different different things like that mm-hmm. um, before I go do my work. And so I just kind of build up the energy levels and and the um, the inspiration so that I can enter that flow state at will rather yeah. than just okay, let's wait until three in the morning when it's, it's definitely a bit stronger, the cosmic energy. You know? yeah, 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 the spirit world's a little closer. I, I mm. feel like uh, it's, I have a very similar pattern. Like I, the mornings are usually like my self-care, yoga, meditation time. Mm. I usually get started on my projects around, you know, between 12 and 2, depending. Mm-hmm. And then it's like I got a good four hours usually until or until sunset. Mm-hmm. And like, I've learned that about myself that like trying to force myself into like this standardized chunk of time, whether it's eight hours or 10 hours or six hours, doesn't really serve the the creative purpose. And that mm-hmm. I usually end up like four to six hours is kind of my, when I'm here in this room working, you know, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll have film shoots that'll be 12 hours easy. Mm-hmm. 15 hours and that's fine i'll be in flow on set and it's like there's all this infrastructure around mm. that's that's to support you know that the uh expression of that energy totally but when i'm like doing my own projects mm-hmm. in my room yeah i think i'm similar to you in that regard where it's like if i'm going to be self-motivated today like these are mm-hmm. office hours two to six right, right, <laughs> all right <laughs> Yeah, I don't set any type of hours. I wake up without an alarm. Um, For me, it's just all about being free. And if you're not making that a priority in my view, then you're on the wrong path, whatever that may mean. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and strive to be free and for that purpose alone. Not that the freedom is going to bring you some other thing, you know. The freedom itself, that is the joy there's no separation you know because freedom brings a sense of of um feeling i guess or sense of um being that that just feels right whatever that may mean to you but Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's uh it's for me really important not to have like these constricting time where I have to work from this. I had plenty of jobs where I had to do that. And then becoming self-employed, that's the blessing of it is I can choose my own hours yeah, and I can be flexible to where, you know, especially living in Switzerland, you know, um, most of the year, like it's a country where 
you don't have sun necessarily every day and you may have periods of of rain or overcast for several days a week and then once the sun comes out to be able to be disattached and just drop whatever you're doing and go out into the sun that's something a lot of people can't do who are working a nine to five you know so i really i can do that and i do do that you know i yeah. just drop the project and i go into nature <laughs> whenever it's calling you know just hear the call like um and that's kind of what life is about for me is just when I'm called upon, I answer the call, but I'm not, you know, calling upon myself of more than what feels right. You know, it's coming out at a rate that feels right and is in accordance with universe. And like Lao Tzu says, you know, nature is not in a rush yet. Everything gets accomplished. So kind of just learning from these sages and, and just nature itself, you know, the seasons are, are changing, but it's not like one day over the next, it's winter to fall. Mm -hmm. I mean, fall to winter <laughs> yeah 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 you know so or winter to fall if you're rushing through your year you know right <laughs> um yeah do you uh like how do you what's the process like for like choosing which images or creating the images that you make prints from like what that early stage where the rubber meets the road of your own consciousness mm -hmm. and inspiration and creativity mm -hmm. have you you know can you describe what your process is like from how do you come up with these cool images that you uh -huh. put on things uh, yeah, thanks that you say they're cool um <laughs> <laughs> you know i just basically make a bunch of art and then naturally some of the pieces speak the strongest somehow it's all vibration everything is vibration in this world so each piece is vibrating a different message and certain ones have a stronger message than others and it's pretty easy for me to know okay this is the one mm. that needs to be broadcast yeah you know because it's a big choice okay i'm going to carve this block now this is going to be hundreds of prints and maybe thousands because i'll maybe take that image and make a t-shirt or postcards too so um it is a big decision but for some reason, it's never very hard for me to choose which, which next piece I'll do because I spend so long on each piece. I have tons of time to, to kind of think of which will be my next piece. And um, by the time I finish one piece, I'm more than ready to start on the next. So by then it's e easily clear. And often it'll be a piece that's building on a previous piece. That's part of what makes it easy. Um, it's just because I'm building on a series like with these sprouting seed worlds, for example. Mm -hmm. um, it was easy for me just to know, okay, now I'm doing the pine. Uh, you know, I've done the oak, mm -hmm. done the avocado, you know, I've done the corn. Naturally, the squash is waiting to be done. So there's a bunch of pieces that are clear for me that I yeah. want to do. And then I'll just have a priority of all the ones that are that are asking to be, to be made into wood blocks, you know. Um, and um, you've built this container that allows you to be like creative inside of it because it's like there's a set now right like of course like i found that in my own creative pursuit it's the uh the constraints like speaking of to freedom but like the the constraints the boxes that i have to squeeze this boundless possibility into mm. it mm -hmm. they end up being like very helpful in channeling you know 
my creative choices mm-hmm. into some co- level of coherence. For sure. And, For sure. And, you know, you look throughout history, I think a lot of the most like profound and moving pieces of art are the work of overcoming constraint and obstacles. Oh, yeah. Wrestling with the limitations of your your craft or your the technology you have or the real mm. world situations you find yourself in. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I've definitely found at times in my life where I've had challenges. Um, that's when some of the most powerful visions come to me for my art pieces, not necessarily the creating of them, because I'll often be too busy, um, you know, dealing with that issue in my life, whatever it may be, um, confronting it and, and, you know, devoting time to it, um, and not running away from it. But, um, but out of the hardship, yeah, out of the darkness comes the light. So they say, so, um, I agree, you know, the hardship, <laughs> you know, you look back in retrospect and you see, oh, yeah, that happened for a reason. Right. And, um, but even like, yeah. even like with, I agree with, with all that. And I think that it's cool that even with, uh, you know, this idea of like the seed worlds, right. Mm-hmm. You've created this constraint artificially mm-hmm. uh that's then allowed you to be like you can fill this box now with like raw creative energy mm. and there's a focusing it's a lens that you can focus this raw creative energy in to mm. create something that's like coherent that people get right mm-hmm. people look at oh it's a world in an acorn you know oh it's a world in a avocado you know mm-hmm. by doing that work of building the container Every time you sit down to make a new print, if you choose to work within this container, it's like you don't have to come up with the idea of like, oh, I'm going to make a world in a seed. It's like you've built that container already. So you can just in a way, it's like you were saying, like, I think that's the craft, right? Like that you've done the work beforehand to create this tool, which is like the theme of the image Mm -hmm. so that you can sit in your flow state and do all the lines inside that like build the world within the seed. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, like definitely having a, a theme um, and a container, like you're saying, it's very helpful for just having some continuity and, and building a, a series. Like it's like telling a story and it's not as scattered and random as it could be. And there's nothing wrong with it being scattered and random, but there is something interesting um, to build a story and to have a theme woven through your pieces. Um, and I think it's, it's definitely found in most artists' best work, you know, and musicians too. There's a certain theme and keep touching back to it. and But not, not limit yourself within that too because this idea could be from the seeds could be any, you know, an image within anything. Like mm-hmm. you could have the world within a crystal. You can have the world within right. a flower. You can have the world within anything. And oneness is the message. So in a reflection of oneness in, in every unique part of the creation. We all come from the same source, yet we are all unique expression. So the illusion is otherness, but oneness is the reality. So <laughs> looks are deceiving, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so this is part of the message in my works is just cutting through the illusion so that people mm-hmm. see the oneness. Because if you look at a seed, you may see something different than I see because I grow the seed into a big plant, you know, and I I can see the creation in the seed. Someone who's never gardened or or sprouted a seed just sees a round piece of material. 
and has no idea of its potential. So mm. telling the story of the seed as it goes through the, the stages and becomes its full potential, um, that's what I'm doing in the seed series. Okay. And um, so it's kind of like edutainment, what yeah. they say in reggae and stuff. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's not just entertainment, it's not just an image, but when you study it, you can start to see... Um, you can start to see things and learn from it potentially if you want to. I love that. Do, do your do all your prints start out as drawings? Is that like the first thing? Do you do a sketch? Yeah, I would say it first starts out as a really rough sketch. And then from there I'll do a drawing. And then um, then I'll transfer that to the wood and, and I'll carve it. So as I'm carving it, it becomes a whole other image because the drawing is a very detailed like shading and to do shading on the wood block, you're just doing lines, various size lines placed certain distance from each other. So um, it becomes more of an illustration, you could say, mm. um, or more of an illustrative style. You can never achieve like what a drawing is with pencil as a wood block print. So accepting that and just, yeah, not being too attached to the drawing is a big part of my process. I always reference the drawing. Because it's really important for knowing the right tones and the contrast um, to do the the drawing justice with the wood block while allowing it to become its own creation is basically the dance I'm doing. Nice. <laughs> How do you deal with mistakes? Well, I do that just by working really slowly. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that when I make a mistake, no one will ever notice it. Okay. And I can easily turn that mistake into just part of the piece. Yeah. Because I'm just doing very small. It's like basically all my pieces are like thousands upon thousands of very small strokes. So if you make one small stroke that's a mistake, more than likely no one will notice. And um, and like I said, not having attachment to the original drawing. Okay, I'll create a new cloud here or right. there will yeah. be a different detail over Guess here. this then tree's got an extra branch today. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, the openness there is, is really important. And then to be honest, though, like it's really the slow, slow pace. Um, mm. I tell you, I basically don't make mistakes anymore. Mm. It's like there'll be my maybe a couple little slips of the knife in a whole woodblock print, but they're very small and, and unnoticeable um, just because when it comes to carving, I pretty much don't ever carve more than like one hour per day. That's a whole nother thing than drawing. I might spend several hours on a drawing in a day or more, but I will not carve for more than up to a couple hours because um, it's a whole nother thing. For one, it, it can become really tiring on your joints. Mm -hmm. Carving wood is not as nearly yeah. as easy as it is uh, drawing. Um, is that a limit that you've like consciously put on the work or...? No, it's more just like what I know I'm comfortable doing. So um, I just naturally just usually carve for like half an hour or an hour. And then if anything, I'll take a break and come back and do another session. But beyond two hours per day is very rare. Only if I have some crazy deadline have I done. Definitely have done. That's how I learned through, you learn through experience, yeah. you know. And many times, yeah, I carve a bunch of hours in a day. But what ends up happening is... Yeah, you often make mistakes and you mess up your tools. So mm. really devoting the time to doing the proper cuts and then sharpening your tools, you know, regularly and um, and having patience for just this piece will be done when it's done rather than me forcing some type of due date on it. Um, 
that is my recipe for creating my best works. Awesome. Yeah, that, I have a very similar thing with my uh, with the like the videos that I make, especially mm. with like the music videos, mm. because a lot of times those are when I get to be my most creative, mm -hmm. the least amount of constraints, right? The most amount of raw flow. Mm. And I have this phase that I've I've named like the wandering in the desert phase. It happens on every video yeah, yeah. where like all it's usually like between the first and second edit. Mm. So I'll like get the edit done or even sometimes before even finishing the edit, I'll be in that period where I'm just like, I don't know what this is going to be. Right. You know? <laughs> I, I know that I mm. shot some good looking stuff. Mm. I have no idea what it's going to look like. For sure. And in the beginning of this journey, that used to really like rock me. It was mm. like a very like emotional experience of just like, I'm a failure. Like, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. don't know what to do. These people are expecting this art from me. Like, God, this is uncomfortable. Mm. And then over time through going through that process, I've come to accept like now when I get to that place, I'm like, Oh, here it is. You know, like, mm. here we go. I'm going, I'm wandering in the, I got to wander in the desert a while. Mm. And, uh, and I'm going to figure it out. And to me, that's what's one of the biggest joys of the work that I get to do mm. is going out into the unknown of my mind of like knowing that I can't see the end. I don't right, know right. where this piece is yeah. going to be, yeah. but I have the faith through my own experience that like this is just part of the process. And there will be a day that I sit down because there always is. And I know exactly what to do. I know what the choices are that need to be made. And then sitting down and doing it, that feeling is like, man, like this is living, this is art. This mm -hmm. is what it's all mm -hmm. about. You totally. know, like I, I, I slayed the dragon. I rode the wave, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's what I love about creation. Yeah. And the dragon is your own mind, you know, getting in the way. So yeah, just humble yourself. You don't know it all. Can't know it all. You never will know it all. Even if you spent all your life reading all these books, you'll never read them all. So <laughs> Basically, just accepting the unknown and being open and flexible with um, the piece becoming what it's becoming. That's really, for me, that's that's the flow state. Um, you're not in the flow state if you're attached to some idea in your mind, what it needs to be when it's finished, because it will never be that. So it's good to have, you know, a plan, a rough plan and some framework, but then within that really allowing this thing to become what it's meant to be um that's kind of the the activity you know yeah, and yeah. all art you know i think it's definitely um you know it's it's important just to be open to to what it becomes rather again than what you think it should be or something like that right totally do you how long on average would you say it takes from like sketch to I know this kind of flies in the face of everything we just said, but like you know? on average for you, when you're making a piece, like from like that, those first lines you're putting down of your concept to the final print, you know, what's that process? Is there an average length of time that it seems to take to, to go through that for you? Mm. Yeah. I always like give answers. I get that question a lot and I give answers, but I'm always internally questioning, like, am I even saying the truth? Cause <laughs> I don't actually count my hours. Yeah. Um, I just simply know, you know, these pieces take me months. My average piece, I will slowly work on a drawing over several weeks. 
and I estimate it's usually between 30 and 50 hours, the drawing. And then the carving will usually take me longer than that. And that takes me months usually. Cause like you hear it, I usually don't carve more than like an <laughs> yeah. hour per day right? Right. and not necessarily even every day. Yeah. So a woodblock may take me anywhere between two months and six months to finish. Um, so on average, I usually only bust like up to four woodblocks per year. Um, and many drawings. And I just choose certain drawings to do the woodblock. But I just am commonly sketching in nature or just drawing different things. And then mm. yeah, I don't have time to make them all into woodblock prints. So like I was saying, I'll just feel the vibrations and naturally know which one I want yeah, to choose yeah. for the wood woodblock, you know. That's um, a sweet sunbeam. Or that tree needs to be immortalized. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. Either you have it or you don't. Yeah. And you can't expect every piece that you create to have it because... It's really dependent on your mind state. So that's why, again, I put the emphasis on my lifestyle to get into this flow state so that basically all my drawings are in the flow state. They could feasibly be made into woodblock prints. But um, but yeah, sometimes, you know, you're just not in it. So and that's okay, though, you know. Mm -hmm. um, it's still good just to create. And um, But yeah, that's it's the goal is just to be in the oneness state so that when you do create, the drawing reflects the oneness state and um and we'll have something unique yeah which which could then be worth it to to spend all this time to carve sure yeah I, something that i like to say to a lot of people just starting out in the journey of creation like mm. trying to make art or trying to make crafts or whatever like creativity takes a lot of resources internal resources mm. to to be creative, to be engaged in that space takes a lot of energy, at least for mm. myself. Uh, and I've learned really in my life that like just how much downtime I require to mm. be like so, you know, expressive with energy to mm. make something that I feel worthy of sharing with the world. Mm. And I think that like when I was just starting out, I would get really guilty about that. And I'd be mm. like, man, I feel so lazy. Like I had to take I didn't do anything for the last four days. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But then on the fifth day, I made something that's really cool. You know? All right. And to me, it's like getting out of the... So many of us are introduced to like the idea of industriousness, yeah. of creation through like getting a job, working mm -hmm. at a company on the clock, doing a nine to five, you know, X amount of hours a week equals X amount of pay. And I think that there's a lot of people where... I know myself included where that's like an inherently painful definition of life. Mm. And I had to do a lot of unlearning about like what life should look true, like, true, yeah. you know, to be able to get back to reclaiming like pride in my work and therefore, mm -hmm. uh, the kind of inspired presence to mm. want to make. Mm. Cause for years I like, I wanted to be creative, but when I would try to turn on that channel, I would feel like, I don't even want to do anything. Mm. I don't even want to do the things I want to do. I feel so like stuck in the feeling of mm. being lazy or not being enough. And mm. I almost had to go and accept that side of myself mm. to then come back around and like be productive. For and sure. Productivity is, that's a dragon. Yeah. Especially the productivity that's pushed on us by society. I mean, um, yeah, I've gotten better and better over the years at just laughing at these expectations <laughs> yeah. people may have. Um, 
and the main you know thing is yeah some inner inner expectation that's kind of pushed on us um of how much how productive you're supposed to be um but yeah like listening to a lot of teachers spiritual teachers and um poets like Rumi I know he went through a period one of the best poets of all time where he didn't write anything for years so when I learned that I was like okay (laughs) it's okay to work at a slow pace and it's okay to even not make any art for a year or multiple years Mm -hmm. like it's really all about listening um or at least having the balance between listening and speaking and speaking in in this context being creating so um you know they say even the fool is considered wise when he's silent and everyone shuts <laughs> like, his, keeps his mouth shut that's so great. Yeah, I like that and you have two ears you know you have one mouth so <laughs> you also have two eyes so <laughs> for me it's like the listening and the seeing and then the speaking you know it's important but actually the other parts are more important that's where the vision comes from is the observing right and so if you're always talking you're always making Mm -hmm. then there's not enough time for the for the absorbing of of the universal energy and the the visions that come through the dreams you know listening to your dreams is is one thing too you know so um so yeah it's good to be in tune with the the listening and um and not feeling some type of pressure where you're supposed to speak too much, create too much, whatever it may be. Do you ever have ideas for prints come in dreams? Like, have you had any of your prints come to you in the dream world? Um, I don't know if I've made any woodblock prints from dreams, more of drawings I've, I've made from some dreams and paintings. Um, but um, I feel like just, you know, being in nature on a hike or maybe sitting in meditation, looking into the fire in a, on, a, on a dark winter night, I have these visions that are comparable to dreams. Um, they may not be when I'm sleeping, but it's very similar to a dream where it's a certain image that just enters my mind, um, you know, that comes from the ethers, whatever you want to call it, yeah. somewhere that's you didn't plan it and it's, you know, it just, it, because you're open and, um, and tapped in. So mainly I think my visions come in the so-called conscious state where I'm actually, um, in like a meditation alpha wave relaxed state. Um, but no, I have had powerful visions also come in my dreams. Um, unfortunately or whatever i haven't made that many pieces of art from Mm -hmm. from those dreams but but yeah it's never too late and i'm definitely like planning on you know doing more of that i'd like to to work more with that um i recently actually had a powerful dream of um it was actually right on the night of that eclipse that we had which we couldn't actually see in Switzerland, but I knew it was happening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it. so we was definitely feeling the eclipse energy and had this vision of in the dream of kind of similar to the rock of Gibraltar. Like I have a woodblock print of the rock of Gibraltar looking at it from Morocco and in the mist and the sunset. And it was a full moon. Um, and in the dream, you can see the, like, it wasn't necessarily the rock of Gibraltar, but it was these mountains with like the, the mists and then the eclipse. You could see the the moon, you know, being yeah. covered by the shadow of the sun. And 
Um, or I guess in this case, the sun being covered by the shadow of the moon is what the vision was. Right. With the, the rock and the ocean, it was just like clear to me, like, oh. Uh. And I did a drawing of it. So it's like in my, in my diary, it's like that's ready to go. It's yeah. definitely – Gonna be um, gonna get manifested. I feel yeah. like on a on a bigger scale. Um, it could yeah, it could lead to a special series of like okay, these are specifically from dreams, you know, um, you know, completely from my imagination, not looking at any type of photos that I took, which are often in, in my pieces. Like photos I've taken are part of the image or collage I've made to to make the vision, and then I do the drawing from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted to ask you like how much of your drawings are like the product of, of observation mm. externally versus internally? Like, mm. do you have still life integrated into there or is it like mostly from like an image in your mind when you're sitting down mm. to create? Well, a lot of my nature pieces, just like landscapes do come from uh, like drawings or watercolors I did right in nature, which I just straight transfer to the wood. Um, or I may, start the drawing in nature and if it gets dark or I'm backpacking or something and I run out of time I'll just finish that drawing with the photos I took um and then this like this series with the seeds is more like I say the collage yeah there's the sprouting avocado <laughs> um you got what that's the acorn this is the sprouting acorn yeah cosmic oak or cosmic acorn um so it also involves research of like, okay, what does the root of an oak tree look like? Mm. Let's look through Google images, you yeah, know, and yeah. find the best image that's going to work for this piece. And so, um, you know, I'm not going to call it scientific or botanical illustration, but it's influenced by that, like the real research I've done mm-hmm. of what does the underground, what do the roots of these trees, plants actually look like, um, for example. And, um, and then it's combined with, you know, definitely certain just imaginative elements of the clouds i wasn't looking at a photo or anything or the stars or anything like that um but parts of it may be based on yeah collage of different photos i've i've merged in photoshop um which i use as reference for the drawing that's dope dude it makes me think about um my own experience with that like in guatemala this year in august Mm. Uh, me and my brother were doing a yoga retreat and I wanted to journal. Mm-hmm. But when I sat down to write, I was like, I don't really want to write any words. Uh-huh. So I drew a picture instead. <laughs> and then the next day I drew a picture and I realized like early on in my trip, like I'm just going to do a cartoon journal. Mm-hmm. So I started doing these little cartoons like that included symbols and just visual storytelling, like this imagery to talk about what I went through in my day Hmm. and I found that I was able to be much more candid about the emotional journey I was on Hmm. because I could like almost hide, like I could show my drawings to anyone that I was with and they're not going to know exactly what this image means to Mm -hmm. me or they're going to get their own meaning out Hmm. of it. Hmm. Um, So then I started it when I got back, you know, my brother had this great idea. He was like, you should make this into like an Instagram account and start sharing these images and, Mm -hmm. So I try to do like one a week, but my whole reason to bring it up was, um, what I found in the process is like, sometimes I'll sit down to draw, you know, a lot of times what I've been doing lately is like recreating events mm. in a cartoon form. Mm. If I went to a cool party or, you know, I'm like mining my memory of like what happened recently that I could make a cartoon about this week. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so it was Thanksgiving and I was like, man, like, how do I draw a cartoon turkey? <laughs> so then I went on the World Wide Web on Google uh-huh. and I like looked at a bunch of different cartoon turkeys totally. until I found the one. Uh-huh. I was like, yep, yeah, that's the image. And then I sat down and tried to like approximate it and it came out my own version of, you know, I see what you're saying. Like, I think that even when I go to do like a literal translation of another image, it's going to be filtered through my psyche and I like living in that place where I'm not like doing the one-to-one exact copy, mm-hmm. but it's like a, a an expression that's been influenced by the thing that I'm looking at. Yeah, it's really learning is what it is. Like you study something and you see what it is. I mean, you never see fully what it is. It's just a, a slice of what it is because in reality, I mean, who really knows, right? But like... <laughs> ultimate reality the way i perceive it is actually more vibrations we can't see and what we're seeing is just a certain manifestation of vibration but like the energy of the universe the cosmic energy of the universe these solar radiation that's coming in from the sun from the stars even the magnetism from the center of the earth that gravity Mm -hmm. you can't see gravity right but it's this law that is very important like you know what i mean so basically most things you actually can't see in reality um so um being humble to that but yeah what we do see um you know observe and then you're you're capturing the essence and once you've understood the essence of it that's what you're translating in the image so it's not about trying to be perfectly photorealistic that won't even be interesting usually. Mm-hmm. So art is more interesting when you have high contrast, when you capture the essence of something and translate it in an original way. Yeah, That's what true art is. Totally. Um, so Ali, if you ask me, that's a coming from your heart because it's, it's, it's your own unique perception of it, yeah. not someone else's perception of it that you're copying. You know what I mean? So that's, that's, yeah. it's one of the things that I've loved uh, in this process as I've done drawings with, you know, of memories with friends in them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll, you know, if I don't know how to draw a friend's face, I'll go look at a picture of them, find a picture that I like. And then it's like, what are the like couple distinguishing features so that like it'll look like them enough? Mm-hmm. But then the cartoonization of it is also bringing like, I don't want it to be one-to-one, like like a photorealistic image. It's like, mm-hmm. no, this is in the Hobie cartoon style for sure, for you sure. know yeah. and i've had these experiences with people where i show them you know like a great example is our mutual friend ryan creighton who you grew up on the same street as oh yeah yeah of course and i hung out i had a great conversation with him one night and then i i decided to make that the you know one of the themes in in that week's cartoon journal and nice. i like went and looked up a picture of him and i was like what is like okay looking at his you know, at his expression and his face. I'm like, what are the couple lines I can put in that mm. will like these three lines will communicate like the, the art of cartoon work, I think is like, how do you tell, how do you give more information out with less detail True, true. and suggest rather than tell. And I was able to do this thing where like he looked at, he's like, dude, that looks, that's me. <laughs> like I make that face. That's exactly with my hands. That's exactly what I do. He was like so pumped. Yeah, yeah. And to me, that was like, such a rewarding moment like Mm. 
I felt so seen as an artist and I felt so understood that like, like, you know, did it really look a hundred percent like him? Mm. Maybe not like one-to-one, but the essence was there. Like what you were just describing, mm. you know, like exactly. I felt like I captured the vibe yeah, of this person in this moment. It's true. Know? Yeah. Yeah. It's so important. Um, yeah. There's this thing concept that one of my favorite painters, he's kind of an old school guy, but from Switzerland called Ferdinand Hodler. Um, he has this name. concept called uh, parallelism. Okay. And kind of like a lot of his works, um, you know, you'll see the reflection of the sky in the lake, for example, is a good example of parallelism. Um, you have like a repeating pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's not important that it looks exactly like it did. It's just that it has this element um, of sacred geometry, of reflection, of of something um, that's connected to the oneness again, you know, um, something that brings harmony. Yeah. Somehow some, some order again within the chaos, you know, something like that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I kind of resonate with his idea there. Like the parallelism, it's pretty important. Again, it's similar to the essence. It's not again, you know, the exact, it's not what it's how. And, Mm -hmm. and so if you do it in a unique way that somehow is interesting, usually, um, yeah, like within nature, reflections um, and um, patterns, you know, that's basically like curves and movement, you know, your eyes moving around the, the thing and the circle in the end is kind of, you know, and we live on a globe. Yeah. So to kind of have the eye moving around the image in a circle is kind of something I you know, somewhat strive for in my pieces that there's movement basically everywhere. Mm. Your eye is moving around the image. It's living, it's, it's vibrating, you know? Do you design your pieces to be like digested in that kind of reductionist way? I'm not saying reductionist with any value attached, like judgment value attached to it, but like, like in, when you think about your pieces is the experience of the, the audience or the, you know, the person looking at your art, are you view, imagining them like looking through your pieces, like the eyes are rather than taking it all in as one whole, like playing in a direction over, over the piece? I don't necessarily plan like, oh, the eye's going to move, you know, <laughs> counterclockwise, yeah, like yeah, from yeah. this point around. Yeah. There's no way I can really do that. Yeah. The idea is more that there's just movement basically everywhere. Um, and there's harmony everywhere. And then there's a balance of light and dark that's basically the art of like making a really good black and white image is mm-hmm. like having a certain balance of light and dark. Um, and, and then the shading and the toning helps you there. Um, but yeah, that's definitely, I look at my, my works from a distance, you know, to just gauge when I feel like, Oh, this is now achieved that state when I'm, when I'm done with it. Otherwise I'll just keep toning. I'll keep, maybe I'll race. I'll do whatever it needs to do to to be in that harmony state I'm going for. I won't know what that is until it's done. But, yeah. But yeah, it's kind of the idea is just, you know, there's there's the rain coming down here. The sun rays are being cast here. The roots are moving down here. The the shooting stars up. Everywhere you look, there's there's movement and living. Sure. Living, breathing nature, um, expression of of the divine, have you. I like that. Yeah, I mean that's one thing I've noticed about your your works, your prints as well, especially with these 
you know, the sprouting seed ones is there is so much motion and energy contained in these images. I don't think I've even like spent sufficient time looking <laughs> into it. I put it on my body. I'm wearing a shirt of yours right now. And like, you know, I could probably spend some more time yeah, looking in these corners. Slowly yeah. discover yeah. parts yeah, uh, sure. at the right pace. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but I love that. I I, I think uh, it's these. It's funny. I, I bought two shirts off of you this year, and they're both like very sacred to mm. me. Like, I've noticed this about myself. I have a whole drawer that's like my special shirts uh-huh. uh, that I don't really wear mm. almost ever. Uh-huh. And so I've been trying to check in with that. Like I have like my normal shirts that I work out in or that I like, you know, will wear on just a normal day mm-hmm. if I'm not seeing anybody. And then I have my like shirts that I go out in or that I sure. do a podcast in or that I, you know, they're shirts for uh-huh. the world. Yeah. And the, these ones are definitely like, I think I've probably worn this shirt less than five times since oh, I yeah, got it that's for why you. it's looking so good. Right. <laughs> and so that, I mean, that's the intention, right? Is like, I want to be able uh-huh. to like come out and have it looking really fresh. For sure. But but in the last year or two, I've like questioned that practice, and I'm like, well, which which way is the most enjoyable? You know, like if it's For a sure. shirt I love, some might argue that I should wear it like yeah. almost every day, or, you know, like <laughs> once a week. Or, totally. So, you know, not that I'm judging either way, but just I've noticed that I have this interesting shirt pattern in my life (laughs) well yeah if you're not like me and sitting on like literally you know probably a thousand shirts or i don't know exactly what my inventory probably over a thousand shirts right now right um yeah it's like you know it's probably wise to like separate and have like (laughs) you know i'm not that good at that like i usually just wear the cream of the crop and Uh then have this like big pile of older shirts and (laughs) that i'm just like slowly converting into rags while i do printmaking nice there you go (laughs) so yeah i somewhat justify like the elephant graveyard i don't have to buy any other rags you know um but yeah of course for like running or whatever it's nice to have some shirts that like you know, you have like certain shirts that aren't your cream of the crop. And of course. <laughs> for gardening or working, you know. Totally. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. been a, it's been a cool thing for me to not have to buy T-shirts for like literally haven't bought a single T-shirt in over 11 years because wow. I just produce T-shirts, you know. Yeah, <laughs> so do you just wear your I try shirts not to anyway? like take too many new shirts. Like I literally like I wear I wear shirts for years, you know, uh-huh. they're good quality and the image doesn't fade right away. Um but, um, but yeah, it's kind of in line with the whole self-sufficiency thing is like, I mean, an even greater vision, who knows if it will ever come to fruition is like this idea of seed to shirt. And like, cause I grow a lot of food that I eat and, um, have experimented with growing some grains. I haven't really done much for fiber, but like it all interests me. Like, um, you know, say growing a big field of, um, of flax for, to make some, some linen shirts mm. or you know of course hemp um right like how cool would that be you I know do. if i can not what are only these, what are these shirts made out of they're so comfortable these are just 100 percent organic cotton okay and um and yeah that's also the next best that's where i'm at right now and i'm mm-hmm. happy with it but i'm also always seeing like you know room for improvement with not only my craft but the way i'm producing the shirts i'd like to maybe start maybe working with some natural dyers or possibly investing in the material myself to like make some hand dyed indigo shirts, for example. 
That'd be dumb. Um, and maybe have like a separate line of like, okay, these ones are a little more expensive because I hand dyed them all myself. So people are even more aware of like, you know, what goes into this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's so much potential, like yeah. the way I see it. You can either see scarcity or you can see abundance. And yeah. I just see abundance of possibilities. And again, it's just about choosing what's speaking the strongest. And like I said, for now, that's kind of would be my first vision if I was going to do hand dyed to do some indigo because um, it's such a beautiful color. And, um, you know, um, I have a blue shirt anyway. So it's like, anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, the indigo line, dude. For sure. I love for it. For sure. I, I got into Clay that. Clay dyeing too is also. A what is it? What's that? Clay dyed shirt dyed would be also something I'd be interested to get like a nice like pipestone kind of light pinkish, you know. Um I had this Bob Marley shirt back in the day that was like dyed with the clay and I wore it until it just, you know, done. So, yeah. Um there's yeah, there's endless possibilities, but um but yeah, I'm hoping to kind of fine tune the whole thing into that, like going in the next level with beyond mm. just organic, you know. Um Beyond Organic. Yeah. B O <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. The uh that's dope. Like I remember in Costa Rica last year, just I came across like a banana fabric shirt, banana oh, fiber, nice. okay. which was like surprisingly soft. It was so comfortable. Uh-huh. It might have been a cotton hybrid banana, but I was like, oh, you can do shirts with banana. Yeah, I don't That's... think I've ever seen clothing, but I've bought paper out of banana. Yeah. And yeah. like when I did certain lion image for my friend years ago in New York City, I went to the New York Central Art Supply and they have just one of the best selection of paper I've ever seen. And I test printed this image of the lion and all these different yellow papers. And one of them was like the banana. It had a really nice thick yeah. texture. And I ended up choosing the papyrus for the image. Nice. But um, there's just a plethora of different materials you can print on also just directly with the wood block. So I tried to experiment with different papers too. And of course, yeah, like getting my own paper maker. That's a whole nother dream I've had for some years, like making my own paper. Yeah. Um, would also be really out. cool for yeah making it more closed loop on my printmaking. Cool. And of course, pigments. You know, there's just like so much possibility. Yeah, you can so just, much deep dive. It's just a matter of like finding the time to do these things. And are you still a one man shop, or you got collaborators? Or? Well, I mean, in terms of my art making, I'm pretty much a one man show. Um, occasionally, I've had a few friends help me with printing my wood blocks to just speed things up if I am under a deadline. I mm-hmm. can whip out way more um, prints with some help, but it's super occasional. Um, and then the T-shirts I do, I have, have been hiring someone to print the shirts, and I'm there to like mix the colors and make sure it all, um, it all goes right. But since I don't really have the facility to produce shirts on a bigger scale, I've basically you know, hired people to do the printing. And then I even hired someone... Um, to be sending shirts out for me, you know, for my storage unit in California while I'm in Switzerland. So, um, I kind of, yeah, it's, it's not like he's putting out a ton of orders, but like, yeah, um, I have been slowly getting some help and it's been helping me, um, just, yeah, having more time, obviously like to have enough funding financially (laughs) gives you more time to do all types of stuff. So, um, yeah, to to have some help has been giving me more time to to invest in different projects, and um, I'm I'm hoping it just 
continues the way it is. I mean, the way it's looking, it just, yeah, it's a slow growth, but steady, steady getting better and better um, in terms of being able to support myself and um, offering me more and more time to, to be open to, um, to doing new forms of art, like even beyond the printmaking, I've, I've been meaning to kind of start doing some of my art onto ceramic plates, for example. Um, I've taken some ceramic classes and not to limit myself um, mm -hmm. to one medium, even though woodblock prints are my specialty. Um, you know, I've done a lot of painting in the past and I've done ceramics. So I'm definitely, as, as things get more financially successful, also like more and more open to devoting time to other projects um, beyond the printmaking. You know, for now, it's good for me to kind of focus mainly on the woodblock prints or has been in the last years. And I definitely want to stay with it, but, um, at the same time, like, yeah, I have these other interests I'd like to pursue. So not yeah, I was going to ask you when, when am I going to be able to get one of these sweet seeds on a coffee mug? <laughs> these would look so cool on a coffee mug. For sure. You know? Yeah. I was thinking on like, uh, you know, farmer's market bags, like the tote bags right. would be kind of a classic thing to put totally. the seeds on, um, to go, Go shop for your produce with the avocado. Oh, you know, that's, like, yeah, one to one, yeah, or, or like a, a hat. You know, true. You know, it's cool logo a cool hat. hat or the redwood tree on some socks or That'd something be, like yeah. that. Like, there's so much potential. So much potential. One of my stores was telling me I should, I should do underwear. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. <laughs> yeah, you never the human know. Human seed, like, dude. <laughs> so yeah, they're like it's our number one seller. Like these these silk <laughs> boxer shirts. I'm like, yeah think about doing that like i want some silk underwear <laughs> yeah that'd be lovely <laughs> anyway so yeah there's just a lot of potential out there nice dude well dude thank you so much for coming on and i appreciate your time so much and thanks so much hobart for having a, me such a good you know we did a sauna right before this oh. what a great uh way to get the mindset for uh for the, the art of podcasting um true before we cut out what uh how can people connect with you where's it What's a good place for people? Where can they find you and mm -hmm. connect with well, you? Well, the best way to see my art is actually my website. It's um, www.dbkprints.com. Okay. So DBK is Damian Bartholomew Keller. Uh, Prints.com, all one word. Um, there's a pretty good gallery of different woodblock prints, drawings, and T-shirts. Um, and then Instagram, I have Damian BK underscore art. That's um, D-E-M-I-A-N-B-K underscore art. Um, and there you can also see some images of my art and, you know, part of the process and other things in my lifestyle, growing food and hiking in the, in the mountains and so yeah. forth. For the audio listeners, you can attach a image to his face or a face to his name, I should say. Um, and do you have, you have e-commerce on instagram or on your website or on the website there's a web shop so yeah you okay. can order my t-shirts and woodblock prints directly online sweet and uh yeah righteous dude well dude thank you so much Appreciate thank you, brother. you coming yeah. on man Boom. found it out thanks so much for and, uh, having me i'm excited to see the next chapter it, it, the business is that dbk art is the business well dbk prints is the name of my website okay. and yeah it's kind of the focus of my art is the print. So it's kind of the the thing, like I said, the Damian BK art is my Instagram. Um, so um, who knows, there may be more continuity at some point, but yeah. the website was kind of more new and I decided to, to go with the prints because yeah, the woodblock prints really is my specialty and 
way of surviving um, between the t-shirts, which I do from the woodblock prints. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, right uh, on, check brother. it out. <laughs> well, much love to you all out there in the digital realms. Much love. Uh, and thank you for tuning in. And till the next time, my friend. Till then. Peace. Bless. <laughs>